Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to Bite Size Technology, where we'll help educate and hopefully entertain you on all things IT. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. You can listen to a podcast at any time, so uh, I thought I'd cover all bases with that. This is the uh, Bytes uh, as yet kind of untitled podcast series, and uh, the idea behind this is to uh, to answer questions that that, that you, the listeners, or uh, me and my panel make up based on uh, kind of what's topical and what's going on um, within the industry at the current time. I'll be joined by Sam Humphreys from Exabeam and Patrick Bale from Paolo. And uh, the idea really is the three of us are here to, to answer any, any kind of questions that, that, that are in the industry news that you might want asked or, or answered. Now, generally, um, this is the first in, uh, in a series. So I'm going to give you a few things about, about my guests. So, so I like to play, you know, two truths and a lie about my guests and hopefully across the uh, across the podcast series you'll work out which ones are which so i'll start with sam and sam's two truths and a lie are sam is a gcse grade c in music both janice and john mcafee follower on twitter and sam has never lost her passport in vegas so i'm sure across this series we'll we'll find out which are true and which is a lie and then patrick his two truths and a lie are patrick met his wife at a dance-off Patrick had a curry with Brian Cranston and Patrick didn't eat an apple until he was 25 years old. Some slightly random ones there, which are maybe going to be slightly more difficult to find out as we as we go through this series, but we'll do our best. So generally, I'm going to start with um, with uh, worst technical joke of the week. And I think this week that it goes to the uh, Microsoft security team. And uh, their joke of the week is, why did the security engineer get kicked out of the office supply store? And the answer is, they couldn't stop pen testing. I did tell you it was bad listeners. And uh, that's why he got voted as a bad joke of the week. Well done, Microsoft Security. Now, let me introduce you to, to Sam and Patrick. Sam, Patrick. I'm, I'm still reeling from the, the horrors of that joke. <laughs> just in the same. At least you didn't say Microsoft Security Team with a joke of the week. That would have been bad, as as we know they're amazing. But um, on the joke level, a bit more work to do. I feel. And Patrick. Yes, it's not really. We don't really need that, do we? In this industry, we've got enough bad stuff going on. That uh, that that, funnily enough, was uh, posted on the um, at MSFT Security Twitter feed on uh, March the 26th. I love the social media team. (laughs) Unfollow. (laughs) Now that kind of the joviality is uh, is out of the way with the Microsoft security team and uh, and their their technical jokes, um, let's uh, move on to to kind of the first things we want to talk about. As I said, this is the first one in the series. So so we've kind of had to come up with the questions ourselves, but the idea is to, to get you, the audience, involved in this and um, get you to, to feed us our questions uh, before, before the next podcast so that we can, we can talk about the stuff that you, you actually want to listen to um, rather than just kind of what we want to talk about. So I'm going to kick proceedings off and um, I'm going to ask, do we think 
um, where the mandatory reporting of security breaches will help. So this is a fairly topical one around the the solar winds hack that that occurred and and the discussions that are going on within the US Congress at the moment about you know whether they change the law by executive order in order to make uh, especially tech companies report any breaches um, publicly and, and to the regulators. Now, if we see this in the US, the likelihood is that we'll see this coming to, uh, you know, coming to uh, a location near you shortly. Um, so what do I what do my guests think? So I see this as, as an extension beyond things like GDPR. Um, and I'll spare you my bad pirate GDPR joke, but I'm sure you can figure it out yourselves. Um, in that if a tech company is breached, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be personal data impacted, <clears throat> certainly not on their side. Uh, I think SolarWinds is such a an interesting case, though, because it's so far reaching. But if we think about just breaches at tech companies generally, from my perspective, I do think that tech companies should be held accountable in these cases because, you know, if they've got software used by you know many many organizations it's going to be tricky otherwise for those organizations to understand that they've got a problem and what's happened to the tech company may be different to what's happened to them once they've been impacted so um from my perspective as much as i know everyone loves a bit more compliance in the world um i would say yes i think that this mandatory reporting is is a necessary thing i nearly said evil but it's a necessary thing that you know, if you're if you're a tech company, that you need to take responsibility for for your own software and what happens to it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to know how how they think they can enforce it because, you know, your jokes aside, Sam, GDPR is so fluffy in that regards. You know, using cutting edge technology and uh, you know vendors and uh, tech companies like that who are how I don't know how you're going to hold them accountable how you can measure them because there's no there's no de facto standard for a SOC model there's no de facto standard for, for anything really but you know being honest there's, there's op- target operating models there's a, a bunch of stuff that people have objects have objectives to do but I, I really everything needs to be more scrutinized you know I think our jobs will get easier really when we're saying that you need to you need to do this and this is how we can help you get there but um, how they do that, they haven't done a great, I've not seen them do a great job elsewhere with, with you know, compliance and holding companies accountable. In fact, unless anyone could you know, kind of disagree with me there. No, I think you're right, Patrick. I think, I think um, you know, one of the things that we struggle with in, in, in especially law that, that, that surrounds technology and security and these kind of things is, is, is the way that it's written. And, you know, really, law needs to be written on outcomes and outcome-based intentions. You know, you, you can't prescribe against technology. You also can't can't prescribe against target operating models, as you've said, and and these types of things. And it, it's difficult, right? Because you've got so many different companies, and you've got so many different styles of trading, so many different styles of product. I think for me. You know, the mandatory reporting piece would would only work if they do it on an outcome and, and, and what outcome they're looking for. And I think the outcome really that you'd be looking for, you know, we've seen it with, you know, the, the SolarWinds breach, the Microsoft breach, the Acelion breach, Qualys breach, you know, and the list goes on of vendors that, that have been compromised recently. 
And I think that is, you know, that's certainly going to continue because, you know, it's becoming much harder to find <clears throat> exploits and, and zero days and these kind of things. The easiest way to do it actually is to go compromise a, a, a vendor and, you know, steal the source code and, you know, actually then implant stuff. You know, we've seen it with the, the PHP recently on on uh, on their Git repository where their code got forked and, and, and malicious code got added to it. And we saw it, you know, a long time ago, actually, with, with the Linux kernel itself, where it got all the way through to production and got pulled right before it was deployed, where they found two lines of code that were malicious within the kernel level. And I think we're going to start seeing more and more of this. And for me, reporting needs to be about the outcome. You know, if a vendor gets breached, you know, there needs to be some form of ability to be able to notify customers and users so that they can be prepared, whether they're another tech company or an end user. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think from my perspective, I mean, somebody has to take responsibility for their code. Um, and I, you know, I'm not, this isn't down the lines of blaming the intern for poor password policy, but you know, at least for the Linux one, somebody, somebody noticed that there was something up. Um, and I'm sure, you know, if you, if you're one of those people who love to read a Euler of an evening, um, you know, there's lots of clauses in there that basically say whatever happens, um, it's not really on us. But um, as you say, I think we are going to see more of this. It, it, you know, we saw it with NotPetya as another example where, you know, if someone if you can get into the code of something that somebody else uses, then you can have a much wider reach. So, um, you know, along the same lines of ransomware, if it's if it's working, we're going to see more of it. But I do think that there needs to be kind of two pieces to this. I agree with the outcome statement completely. Um, it does also require, you know, if we, if we can look at standards across the board, it's, you know, it's who's going to be responsible for writing said standards. The hardest thing all, always with this, and GDPR is absolute pig for this, when it's written in legal speak, um, it's super vague and you can interpret it and it takes case law before, you know, <laughs> before there's any sense made of it and that can change. Um, but I don't know, if it was my software, <laughs> In Samland, I would definitely want to um, to make sure I was doing rigorous testing. And I, you know, if something got out the door and it found out, and I find out after the fact that my software had been hacked, not my company's software, Sam's software, <laughs> the benefit of my career, um, I'd be mortified. And you know, I'd expect there to be some ways of a improving that and and trying to ensure that it won't happen again, which is that itself is difficult. But yeah, um, just saying. Well, there'll be a big fine. Uh, that can <laughs> that can be catastrophic for a smaller company, but for some of the big boys, mm. you know, it can be pocket change. So it needs to be beyond, I think, just the monetary side of things. Yeah, uh, I, I think the smaller companies. I mean, they're all about time to market, right? Um, so I, I completely agree, Sam. Like having a, a hundred thousand dollar fine for any breach blanket statement doesn't can't apply but yet the bigger companies who are more likely to be able to afford that and uh, define security strategy around the impact of that they're the ones that are going to be the target so i think it's it, i mean it's definitely tricky like you know i don't think any of three of us could come up with a solution now i mean um like some some of the things that you mentioned sam like i think some of the vendors who, um, have been praised for how they responded um, you know, most notably, you know, FireEye responded well, open and honest about it. That's, I think we need to be encouraging that level of um, openness as well um, with vendors. 
Um, Sam, you're going to say I was something? agreeing with you, my friend. <laughs> yeah, response is, uh, you know, yeah. we still were with some of the other big breaches that have happened, right? Um, you look at Maersk um, and Merck, compared to some of the other vendors who blamed an intern for password policy, uh, there's definitely mm. good and bad ways of responding and behaving once you've been popped. Yeah, um, you know, and this week, I think we've seen uh, Fatface, you know, spent, spent, what, $2 million on paying the ransom and say, I, 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 we're going off on, on a tangent here, but I definitely think that's um, one of, I'm not sure how that came out, but that's not one of the things that I'd, I'd like disclosed if it was my company. Um, I think as well, like going back to the, the smaller company thing, we, if, we, if we implement it too hard, then we're at risk of stifling innovation. Um, and the, the attackers are, are constantly innovating. And as vendors, we like to be seen to be innovating, whether we're acquiring companies, building something ourselves, new companies are coming out, startups. Now I've worked in startups, Sam has as well. Um, I, I think there's definitely a risk there. And that's not me excusing anything because we, we certainly need to have more control over this. Um, and that, that's kind of another thought that I had. But also, I'm, you know, we've, we've talked about the software companies, about the hardware companies. What about, you know, at, at the silicon level, is there is, uh, vulnerabilities there? And I'm, I'm sure one of you guys are better at stat statistics and got better memories than me can kind of contribute to that. And what we've seen with, what, I think that was one of the reasons Intel, I heard, bought McAfee was because they were concerned about threats at the, at, the, at the jail level. And that was something that they wanted to implement. So what about holding hardware companies to account as well as the software companies? Yeah, I think you're right. Patrick, you know, there was, there's been the famous case, I think it was Supermicro that, um, you know, had additional chips added to it um, in production, uh, and, and, and that's still rumbling around in the background. Now, you mentioned an interesting thing there, and, and one, of the, one of the questions that I'm going, to put, I'm going to put back to you about this is, do we think, you know, uh, one of the problems actually, you know, with, with uh, breach and, and, and problems with, with software and coding today is actually a market-driven problem. You know, it draws me back to the old days of, um, of project management. And, and, and you kind of had the project management triangle, which was cost, quality, and speed. Pick any two. And, you know, it's the same for software coding today. You know, when, when you look at it, the market and, and the users that drive this, you know, are not interested in, in, in necessarily the security aspects of it. What they want is they want cheap, feature-rich, quick-to-market um, software. And, you know, out of that goes, goes the kind of quality piece because, you know, they've picked the two, which is cost and, cost and speed. Um, and, you know, the quality, the quality goes in, in that regard. You know, so the question is, do we, do we think that, that several things might help with, you know, with vendors and these kind of things, if, you know, there were potentially tax breaks for, for, for writing good code and secure code? Do we think that it would help if, you know, uh, execs were held accountable for their, for their cybersecurity status and the quality of their code and its defensibility, just like they are for, for things like financials, for instance? Or do we think there's something else that that might, you know, that might drive that more? What do you think? Uh, I, I definitely like the idea of it. I mean, at a board level, which which boards fully understand 
the technology that the company is selling or publishing. I think we, we, there's going to, again, I feel like I'm going very negative on this, but I think there's definitely a risk of boards going, well, I'm not going to take that job. I don't, I don't know what that, the implications of, of an action there, whereas with financials, you know, they're, if they're deemed to be doing dodgy trading, then yes, absolutely. I, I understand that. I'll, I'll do it anyway, but hey. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, 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 that's another interesting point. I'm, I'm going to be quiet for a bit and let Sam come on over the top of me with some extra <laughs> comments. <laughs> um, okay, I'll move away from Samland now. I mean, the same problem exists in IoT, right, as well. And, and it's <laughs> we've seen this a lot in the IoT space. I, I like the idea of there being some sort of grading, for sure, that, um, that you know, that for a tech company, be it IoT, be it software, that, that gives that kind of quality stamp. I think that's a good thing. Because you know, I've I worked in product management in a in a previous life, and yeah, absolutely, you get the the issue of people want to get something out the door by a certain date. Well, you know, at what cost? And if you can't throw more people at it, and you've written a, a date either arbitrary or otherwise in stone, um, with the concern that you might miss the market if you don't get out on a certain day, there is that risk that that quality uh, is going to be impacted. But ultimately, so things like that come back to bite you in the backside. And if you are, you know, repeatedly throwing products out there into the world that are of poor quality, and then there is a breach of some some sort, or or, or a quality issue, it doesn't necessarily have to be a breach. Eventually, you're going to start losing customers, and you'll get that, you know, the the, the public shaming going on, which can be everything from annoying, or could be a bad social media moment, through to, you know, if you're a public company, that can be investors pulling out. That can be, you know, ultimately, it could be the end of your company if you really don't care. But if there was a way in the meantime to, yeah, I think to grade tech companies to say, you know, these guys are five-star quality, um, you know, you get it with airlines, you get it with financial. Um, I think it would be a, a reasonable idea. I, I'm not sure about the tax break side of things. Um, I think the tax breaks, if there's an opportunity to be dodgy, people will find it. But definitely... Holding people to, to account for quality up to board level for sure. And I, I like Patrick's point on, you know, will will decent board members want to go somewhere where there's clearly a bunch of quality issues and, and security problems and arguably they won't. Yeah, that they don't even know about. They don't they can't even begin to comprehend what that looks like. And yeah, the, the time to getting stuff out the door, like you say, is when you're a startup, you've got excess, you know, you've got a pot of money that you are burning through on an hourly basis. And you can really quantify where that. 20 mil, 50 mil, 100 mil is going. Um, and that, that that time spent, right, let's just double check the software again, make sure, I mean, they, they don't care about the long-term implications, let's be honest, when, when you are a startup. Um, it's all about solving that customer need because they probably got a customer on the hook already. Um, and then we'll, we'll figure out the rest later. We can put a patch in later, that's fine. Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I, take, I take points on this because interestingly, we're starting to see it with IoT. You know, we've had the California regulations that have come in around IoT. We also know that, that there'll be regulation coming to the UK for IoT and IoT testing um, as well. There are trials going on with, um, <clears throat> you know, with testing IoT in, in the UK at the moment and looking at legislation around it. You know, so it, it seems to be the next natural step that that you might want to take you know the question is you know framework for doing that based on the variety the other question is then you know about who's going to test it and 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 how quickly you can do that to a suitable level of quality you know within 
uh, within, uh, you know, just even within a territory. And, and, and also you then get into those, those issues again of, you know, who are you going to open your source code up to, 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 to look at? I mean, it's the old famous argument about, you know, whether vendors will open source code up to, to, to government for government inspection for government use. And, you know, that's going to become even worse if you, you know, if you try and do that on a, you know, on a commercial, on a commercial level, in a lot of cases, what do you, what do you think about that? Don't all shout at once. I'm trying not to be political about this. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, definitely want to be Switzerland here. I mean, yeah, it's a tough one. Who does want to open up their source code? Um, is it the source code? Is it the testing results? Is it, do you have to just prove that you've put enough, you know, enough testing or the right testing, not enough testing, the right testing in place? Um, and it becomes part of audit. I think that having a, a third party in the middle that would do that audit, um, because audit firms clearly don't make enough money right now, um, that would that would be my ideal for the situation rather than it be directly the government going to look at what's going on. And, you know, and, and scaling that is hard. So uh, that was that's where I think I would put the onus on is for, for organisations to have that as part of their audit. Yeah, and, and uh, honest and frank, no, no code is is perfect, right? Code is software, so it, n n yeah, it, it's not possible to create um, perfect code. Definitely not at the bat, anyway. Um, without a lot of a lot of degree of scrutiny on it, and I guess we, we're we're talking about that degree of scrutiny and how how you can apply that, right? Yeah, I think you know, I've got a cloud for a second. That's, you know, that's I think, the space where you see code rolled out quickest at the moment, arguably. So, but, you know, if you speak to a vendor and they don't have a staging environment where they're doing testing before they roll stuff, that's not ideal. And some of this is, is, is basic and it's easy for us to sit in our ivory security towers here, but that definitely goes on, is that code is shipped live to a lot of customers very, very quickly without going through. Yeah, and I yeah. think you're right, Sam, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the testing regimes and and those types of things. I think, uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't think we're going to solve this one today in terms of, um, you know, what the right answer is. But I think it's 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 one that might kind of run and run through through some of the themes that we um, that we we talk about over this over this podcast series. So I think we've uh, we've probably hit our. Our, our 15 minutes of uh, of time for 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 the first um, for the first uh, podcast. I'd like to thank my guests Sam and uh, and Patrick for for joining me. And um, I think in in summing up in in this one, we think that the the mandatory reporting is good, but we're not quite sure what that would look like or what it would cover. At the moment, we do think the boards should be held accountable, just as they are for their their financials, and we do think that um, you know that the, the kind of quality testing and 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 setup of, uh, of 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 vendors and code that sits around that you know is an important thing that 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 we should care about. Whether we think there's you know enough known in in legislature in order to be able to actually write anything meaningful around that, we're, we're not quite sure. So that that then falls back to, you know, do you do you look at, uh, you know, 
self self governance within the industry and 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 self policing within the industry in order to to move forwards. I think my view is that you know as consumers of 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 product from vendor and and those types of things actually it's in all of us to to call on our vendors to to do more and to be more transparent about the way they do things and uh, the implications that it will have to to each of us uh, in <clears throat> in that regard and that's the summing up for me so it just leaves me to say thank you very much for 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 listening to the the first of these podcasts there's going to be a number of them over time as I said, um, you know, along with the podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll give you an email address in order to email us because we'd like to get your feedback and also your, your questions into us because what I'd like to do you know, is, uh, is actually ask your questions of, of, of my panel in order to, uh, to talk about the things that you want to talk about. So it goes without saying, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then my name's Steve Marshall. If you haven't, then my name's Patrick Bale. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Bite Size Technology. Please do watch out for our next session coming soon.